Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen. With me today is the effervescent Bridget D. This is your daily dose of happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. Monique Scott isn't going to be able to join us today, but uh, we'll be getting her back again, I'm sure, in the next week or two. In the meantime, we are in the midst of a a number of weeks period here where we, we're just like book solid with guests. Not that we haven't had guests before, Bridget. I mean, we've had you know guests, but I'm, like we're booked. Like February, March, I mean, we're like, it's all filled yes. in. And one of them is with us here today. Her name is Melissa Loggins. Melissa is a musician and an author. In fact, she has a number of different hats that she wears. But you know what one of the coolest hats is? She has a music store that she owns in Cumming, Georgia. And how many teachers do you have and how many students do you have, Melissa? I mean, you were telling me before, I couldn't believe the numbers. I have uh, 28 instructors on staff. And I have 605 students a week. Good God, (laughs) 600 students. That is fabulous. I mean, especially in the age, right? In the age where, you know, music programs have been knocked out of schools and so forth. 600. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. So that's our way of saying welcome to the program. (laughs) (laughs) We're glad to have you here. Give us a little bit of a background. How did all that get started? That's really exciting. Um, we started, it, it, we are in our 20th year. And, um, honestly, it's, it's a, it's a weird thing. When I was in high school, all I wanted to do was to run a, a performing arts school. And my husband had this dream to own a music store. And so we did. <laughs> uh, we, we were very young too. We, we were, we got married. I was 25 and we owned the store by the time I was 27. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it was just uh, the right set of things kind of happened. It was a little bit of kismet. It just, everything worked out. Um, we actually had another investor in town who started a music store. She kept it for not quite 18 months, decided it was not for her. Uh, so we purchased it from her. Um, I had actually uh-huh. written a business plan for that first store. I was the first person she had on staff. And um, so it just it just worked out that they did the hard part, which was the startup part of it. Yeah. We took it over. Um, we started, um, like, so the lessons part has always been my my passion. We started with six studios. I think we had about 10 teachers and maybe 30 students is what we started. That's what you started with? <laughs> Whoa. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> she, goes, she goes bigger, goes home. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Uh, and when you, you know, when you look at a percentage of what we do, we're, we are one of the biggest that there is compared to the size of our county. And we were talking about that earlier. We see about a half a percent of the people in our county go through our store in a week, which a half a percent of the total population. It's, it's huge. It's huge. That is, that is huge. Yeah. Well, among other things, it shows that music is popular in coming Georgia, which is fabulous. I mean, that's just, and we're talking rock bands, but we're talking about all kinds of stuff. I mean, you have, I don't know how many things listed there, but there were like, I don't know, 15 instruments listed, something like that. Um, we teach almost everything except for we do not have a brass instructor on staff right now. Um, they're very hard to find, actually. Um, so we don't have really? a brass instructor. So we, don't, we don't do trumpet, trombone, things like that. And I don't do double reads like bassoon and clar- uh, bassoon and Oh, but, okay. but we do, uh-huh. we do pretty much anything else you could possibly want. Um, we don't do bagpipes. We used to, and it was horrible. <laughs> they were so loud. <laughs> yes. learned, so we discontinued those. Understandably. Yeah. You could probably be heard uh, five blocks away with that one. Yeah. They're, they're a little bit on the, on the loud side. <laughs> they were a little bit we do, we do all the rest of it. Um, we run, we do seven summer camps a year. Um, during the summer, we, oh. we have a, we have about an eight week summer here in this county when, uh, for for schools. We do seven summer camps during that time period, so we're we stay very busy. That's so cool. Absolutely amazing. That's really cool. Um, so all this love of music, I imagine that kind of started young for you, especially if you bought the store when you were what twenty seven is what you said. So it, this yeah. is this was percolating for a while. How did that all get started for you? Uh, so I, I wish I could tell you I came from a musical family. I don't. 
Uh, my sister's an engineer. My dad's an engineer. Um, my mom was an office administrator before she became a stay-at-home mom. I have a great-grandmother who I never met who was an organist. That's the only music I really have in my background. Um, but we, my, my parents were wonderful. They, they were very supportive when I was young and I started getting interested. And the first thing I was interested in was, was piano. So they got me a keyboard and we were not, I grew up in a teeny, 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 tiny town in Northwest Ohio. And there wasn't anyone to go to, to take lessons. Like lessons was mm. not an option all so they went to um, the nearest mall which was like 45 minutes away and they got me a keyboard and they got me some books and I taught myself I didn't have my first wow oh that's awesome yeah I was completely completely self-taught until I got to college and of course they told me all the things I was doing wrong and I had to fix those but (laughs) um, I did I did well enough to get into a music program in school so I thought that was pretty well pretty good how long did it take you to like teach yourself. I was playing by ear by the time I was about five or six years old. Oh, wow. I learned how to read well enough that by the time I got to high school, I could, I could play reasonably well. Yeah. I actually went to college for voice. I'm a vocalist is what I, what I really do. Oh, cool. um, I play, I play piano cause it pays better. I sing because <laughs> <laughs> and I, I teach rock bands because that's what the rest of the world wants to hear is, you know, they don't sure. care about, they care about, they care about hearing, you know, guns and roses and stuff like that. <laughs> right. Right. So that's, that's how I got started. And luckily my parents were were very willing to go down this crazy road of the arts with me. That was not what they were into at all. They were very much, um, my dad was a pitcher on a softball team and music was just not something that they had a, a lot of experience with. When I got to high school, there was a lady who lived in our neighborhood who at one time sang with the Cleveland Opera. So she was teaching me voice lessons. So I did take voice lessons, never, never piano, but I did take voice lessons. And I had a really supportive choir teacher and theater teacher in high school that, that helped me along the way also. And then I got to college and I was like, this is, this is where I belong. This is what I want to do. Wow. That is just fantastic. To have found your passion early in life like that too. I mean, that's not typical, right? And just keep following through with it. Yeah. Yeah, I like to joke, I like to tell the joke that I'm like one of the few people you'll ever meet who actually works in what I started out majoring in in college my freshman year. I've never changed. I got a degree in music business. I'm actually working in music business. And so that I, I, I count myself very lucky that I'm able to do that. Uh, that's fabulous. That's really good. And I, I don't know. I mean, the story sounds idyllic. Have there been pitfalls along the way? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> 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 um, it, I, I suffered from, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story because we're here for a little while. I'll, I'll tell you a little story. When I was a, in kindergarten, so I was six ish, I got my very first part in a play. And my mom is terrified of being in front of people. Like if she's in a room with 12 people, she won't speak. She's just mm. very, very self-conscious, has always been that way. So I get my first part in a play. I'm, like I said, about six years old, and I came home, and I was like, Mom, I got this part in this play, and it was one line. It was just one sentence. And my mom looks at me, and she, and not meaning to do any harm, she looks at me, and in all sincerity says, why would you want to do that? Everyone's going to be staring at you. Aww. So from the time I was six until the time I was about 30, that was the last thing that went through my brain every time I performed. Now, I love being on stage and I love performing, but it took me a long time to sort of overcome that voice. And I eventually had to rework the way I thought about it from, but everybody's going to be staring at me to, of course, everybody's going to be staring at me. I worked really hard to be here. Yes. And that once I was able to really adjust that. So from, you know, that, that was a big, that was a big pitfall. And I can look back at old videos of myself and just see that fear that that was given to me and and like i said she she did not mean to do that it just just no. it was just one of the things you say as a parent that suddenly you're like oh maybe i shouldn't have said that <laughs> right exactly um, yeah but so when did you realize that like you had to let that voice 
kind of go and like recognize, you know what I mean? I actually worked with a business coach and oh. I was, I was in the process of working with this business coach and she was talking about gremlins, which are the little voices in your head that you have from when you're very young that people say things that you don't yeah. necessarily recognize you're there, but they can hold you back. And that's when I realized that I had this, this little voice in my head and she's like, just cause you have the voice doesn't mean it's right. Yeah. That's a really good nice. insight because we often follow these voices, don't we? We say, oh, well, that voice is telling me this, so I got to act on it because that's what I've always done. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I I didn't know any different. And, you know, when you start so young with that thought process of, oh, everybody's staring at you. And, you know, now now it's interesting because now I'll, I'll stand on stage. And I remember just recently I was doing a performance and there was someone in the second row that was texting on their phone while I was singing. Like, I want to take your phone away from you. Like, <laughs> stop the show for a second and just take your phone and I'll get it back to you when I'm done. Because now I want you to pay attention to me. Like now I recognize how much time and effort, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm 44. I've put 44 years of work into this performance that I'm giving you. Please take the phone and put it in your purse, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The old programs, they don't go away easily. That's for sure. But uh, the other thing that we found, we, we, we talked a lot about the stuff that happens when you're growing up, when you get older, the, the, the tapes that keep playing, all that kind of thing. And the theme that keeps coming up over and over again is how valuable these experiences are in ways that we don't really expect until later on. When we're in, when we're in the middle of them, we don't like them all that much. We certainly <laughs> we never want to repeat them again. But later on, we find they gave us strength. They gave us insights we didn't know we had. They, they gave us all kinds of stuff. I'm curious, what, what insights have you gotten out of it? The, the biggest thing for me is I, I teach a seminar here at, at our school about once a year on stage fright. And I'm able to speak from a very honest perspective. And I have parents mm -hmm. who come to this. Like, kids don't just come to it, but parents will come to it because the parents are trying to understand why their child was so excited to perform at age 7 and they get to age 13 and suddenly they're terrified. Mm -hmm. so oh, I love that parents will come to the seminar and I tell them the story. And I, so it, for me, what that taught me is I'm really careful about what I say to my students. Like I think everything through before I say it, like I can't, I can't be perfect. I'm going to say something someday that's going to, you know, give someone that little gremlin that runs around in their head. But if I'm conscious of it, I can at least be careful and try my best not to scar some child for life. But by doing these seminars, I'm able to share that with adults also. And so hopefully they can think about it as well, because, you know, you just like, I, I like to call them baseball dads, the dads that come in and they're like, my child's the best star ever. And we're going to do this and this and this and this. Sometimes by pushing really hard, you're actually doing more damage than good. So by being able to teach these principles to my customers, it creates a healthier environment. And then we end up with students who are much more successful, who are much less afraid, who have that courage and have the confidence and have the support system from their families to get up on that stage and to overcome those fears. That's really that's awesome. <clears throat> I mean, not just because of being on stage, but that's just important in general. I, yeah. I mean, I can speak from my own experience. Um, when I was growing up, I took piano lessons. I played for seven years and I quit for two reasons. Um, the first was when I quit, it was 1970. Piano was not cool at all. The only thing that was cool was guitar, rock and roll. Um, Billy Joel hadn't hit the scene. He wasn't going to be there for another three years. Elton John, nowhere in, in sight. So, I mean, it just wasn't even an option. That was one reason, but that wasn't really the driving reason. The driving reason was that I had two teachers. My first teacher was wonderful, but she ended up moving to Cleveland, Ohio. And so I had to get another teacher. The next teacher was an older woman who was very old school. And by the time I was done with her, I had lost my love for piano because she had taken all the love out of it. She had, she was trying to turn me into a concert pianist, which was the last thing I wanted to do. I mean, she was like, oh, okay, you're going to do all these exercises. You're going to, you're going to build up your, your strength and your, your weak fingers are too weak and all that, all this other stuff. And I just wanted to play some piano. <laughs> <laughs> she, she seemed to have forgotten that part. And literally she drove me from the keyboard for years, literally to the point where I mean, 50 years later, I finally got a keyboard, this 
51 years later, I finally got a keyboard in January so I could start playing keyboard again and found that, among other things, the exercises that she wanted me to do, I actually enjoy doing now. But that's not the point. The point is there's a 50-year gap in there because of that experience. So I'm glad that you do that. That's good to have that support. Oh, my God, yeah. It is. And it's important to recognize the kids where they're at, too. Um, I mean, by, by no means do we allow our students to drive the lesson. Like, they don't get to tell us what they want to do every week. But we are able to do things like if you have that keyboard student who wants to play Journey, we find ways to make that work for that mm-hmm. particular student because that's what's going to keep them excited and that's what's going to keep them in lessons. And whether they become a professional musician or they're just in it for the next four or five years, you know, they're getting – courage out of it. They're getting confidence out of what they're doing. They're learning how to express themselves. They're learning how to advocate on their own behalf. When we say to them, what song do you want to play this, this, this next recital? There are lots of things that they're getting that have nothing to do with music. It's just coming in the package of music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another topic that came up last week. Um, I, uh, just to give you some background about the show, I started the show in 2012. So it's been almost 10 years that I've been doing the show. And I looked back in my archives and discovered last week that we had never done a show on the topic of encouragement, which kind of surprised me because so many of our topics are a very positive topic. So we did a show on that one. And in the, the in the course of doing the show, um, Cindy Chavez who, and Jackie Gates did that particular episode with me. And, and we all agreed that not only is encouragement important, but particularly after we grow up, it's almost non-existent in our adult lives. I think more people today are aware of the importance of giving encouragement to children, but not so much to each other. And so I'm wondering what role encouragement plays in what you're doing with not only with your kids, but also with your, your parents. Uh, it's, it's, it's important. We, uh, our, our brand, when you look at our branding, our branding is music authority family. And what we like to say is that we support everyone. Like you're part of our, our media family. And um, sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's not so good. Um, <laughs> not so good? Oh. <laughs> and uh, that, that means that I have some, like some of our kids have been making music together for 10 years. Um, wow. And, and they, they will spat with each other like their siblings. <laughs> Put them in timeout. But um, it, the encouragement is so important because, you know, with, with the younger kids, it, when the youngest kids that we have in the store, for the most part, don't know to be afraid. They haven't learned that fear yet. But as they get older, they start to learn this fear. And so by encouraging them, we're hoping to help them overcome that fear. And as far as the adults go, you know, besides the parents, about 10% of our students are adults. And those, those ones, you're, you're absolutely right. There's, um, uh, one of the, they, they are, they will, they will sign up for a recital. And they will show up to the recital and they will physically be shaking so hard you can see it because they're so afraid. And so having that, that care and that respect for what they're doing and acknowledging that it's something difficult for them is very, very important. And just being there. And sometimes it's just having their teacher sit in the very front row in the very middle seat and just smile with them. And if, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. Um, one of the things I'm doing this year, we do an adult rock camp over the summer. Well, I'm a pianist. I'm a vocalist. That's what I do. So this year, so, so I can learn what it's like to be in their shoes. I started bass lessons last week, like literally last week. So I wow. have four months. I have until the, the second weekend of June to learn how to play bass. And I'm going to camp this year so that I can experience from their perspective what it feels like to not really know your instrument as well as like I do. And to get up on that stage and play and perform. And some of the adults who are coming to the camp are just like blown away that I would do that. Well, I want to experience it from your perspective. That's powerful. And that's rare too. There aren't many people who would be willing to put themselves in that position after they've achieved accomplishment in the broader field. That's really, really rare. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone assumed when I said I was going to come to camp that I was just going to sing. And I said, no. I don't want to do what I do for a living. I want to do something different. And I want, I want to be a camper. The only way I can do that is the bass guitar it is. So are you looking forward to camp this year? <laughs> I'm scared to death. 
I'm legitimately scared to death. Like I look at, so there's, there's nine other campers right now signed up, but we still have time to demand more than that. We have these nine other campers and I look at the list of names almost every day on my desk because I, I run all of our special events programs here. So I've got the list of names on my desk and I'm so intimidated by them. Like I'm so intimidated by these other students because I'm like, oh, he's been taking guitar lessons for like the last four years. He's going to be so much better than me. <laughs> Just those voices that I had when I was very young have started to come back a little bit and it's really making me think about how I do those interactions and what it's going to feel like to get up there. I'm absolutely terrified. What do you, what do you do to like encourage yourself or like get over your um, fear that you like may have? Um, I just, I make myself do it. Like I don't have a a system. So you just jump in. (laughs) I just jump in with both feet. Um, I like someone asked me once, like, you know, how many 20, five-year-olds start a business and I said ones that are too stupid to realize that they can fail <laughs> like <it's> <laughs> failure was never something I contemplated um, we made it all the way through the economic problems of you know the, the late 2000s didn't even consider the fact that we might have to close our doors now we made some poor decisions in those pro- in that process that maybe we could have done better but we just never, never considered failure to be an option. That's a key point, by the way. That's Mm -hmm. really important. I mean, our show is not only about the law of attraction and what you're really doing there is you are attracting only success or at least not succumbing to failure because you're not thinking about failure. You're giving all your thought to success or at least to trying to succeed. And so you just keep going because you have that mindset. That's really big. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's important to stay positive. We had, um, back in 2018, so four years ago now, I can't believe it's been four years, we had, um, a group of teachers that left and started their own store. And it was a really traumatic experience because these were people I trusted. Um, they were people that I cared about. Uh, they were people that I'd have dinner with. I mean, they weren't strangers. They were, they were people that I would have considered friends at the time. And when it happened, I went through honestly about three days that I couldn't tell you what I said or did because they were completely just a blank. I was in such mm-hmm. shock over what was happening. But when I got to the other side, my husband and I sat down and he's, um, I'm, I'm the primary owner of the store and he's the secondary owner of the store. And we sat down and had this conversation and it was very simple. The only way we get through this is by latching onto what is important to us. And what was important to us is music authority family. And we need to take care of the people who are here and not worry about the people who aren't here. So kind of at that point, we closed the door on that. I don't look at their social media. I don't look at their website. I don't worry about who's taking lessons there. I don't, I I assume they're still open. I'm not sure to be totally (laughs) honest. It's not, it's not something to focus on. What's important to focus on is the people who are here and the people who matter here. And when we focused on that, we rebounded from that experience very, very quickly, grew all of our numbers back. The students we lost were replaced. You know, that that's what's important is focusing on here, now, and what's going right. Boy, you just hit on another theme that we talk about a lot, living in the now. <laughs> yeah. Living right here, where you are right now. Not in the past, not in the future, right here, right now. And you just demonstrated through your own example how effective that is because you were in a bad place. You stayed in the now and everything got better fast. And you chose to just be grateful for what you had and who you had, not who you may have lost or, you know, so I think that's huge for your outcomes, you know, in anything in life. Yeah. I mean, we took, we took a moment to sort of mourn the students we lost because we're very close to our students in this, you know, especially the students who are in our band programs. Um, We're, we're with them lots and lots and lots of hours of the week sometime we're working with them. So, you know, there, there was some people that left that we were sad that they left. Mm-hmm. We acknowledged it. We said, you know, we're, we're sad that they're gone, but I got to, you know, I have other kids here who are looking to me to do for them the right thing. And that's what we need to do. So you just keep on moving forward and you keep on, keep on being positive. Yeah. That's great. You also mentioned that, uh, 
I think you said 10% of your students are adults, and you also talked about how they get very nervous and stage fright and so forth. Um, but talk about what motivates them to get into music in the first place. I mean, are they people who previously were into music and got away from it, or they're doing it for the first time? They're doing it on a lark. They're trying to create a career. What's going on? Um, yes, to all of that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, a lot of our a lot of our adult students had done it when they were younger. And then they got focused on life and focused on careers and they lost that music. So they're coming back to it. Um, I think our oldest student right now is 92. Really? He is, oh, a, that. He is a tenor saxophone student. Um, I, I, I was amazed <laughs> when that happened. <laughs> um, he's, he's, I think his daughter pulls him to his from his lessons because he doesn't really drive right now, but he does play saxophone. So, and it was just, he did it when he was young and he loved it. And then life happened. So he wants to recapture those, that memory. And then I do have some other ones who are working on careers in music. And so they're taking lessons, um, in, in a variety of, of instruments. Um, I've got a couple of vocalists who are out there doing the performance thing and they, they come here to work with our coaches to make sure that they're staying on top of it. Uh, I have a couple of guitar players who are doing the same thing, but. For the most part, it's, it's, we used to, it's a great way to relieve some stress. Mm. You know, it's, Very it's nice weight so. therapy. So. Sure. I agree with that. In fact, uh, just before we did the podcast, I sat down on my keyboard to relieve some stress, just to illustrate your point. Literally, that was my whole purpose, putting sitting down, not because I wanted to practice, just because I wanted to get rid of some stress and it worked. And they're all ages too, like, uh, an adult student from 19, like I said, all the way to 92. So, and everything you can imagine in between. There's not, there's not one predominant age group. It's, it's pretty vast. That's fabulous. That's really good. So, just five minutes after I said you live in the now, I'm going to ask you, where are you guys going five years from now? (laughs) Good question. Um, right now, we're focused really hard, hardcore on rebuilding Music Authority family. The pandemic hurt that a lot um, because mm. we do. We used to do things like we would do potlucks, we would do uh, days at the park, we would do movie nights, we would do takeovers of restaurants. So we did lots of stuff as a group that our entire store, like it, it, it was not abnormal for us to go to the local pizza place and bring 150 people with us. That's wow. so um the the immediate is rebuilding. And the pizza that. place must love you, by the way. I'm just saying they must absolutely be thrilled whenever you come by. <laughs> yeah, when 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 we go, when we call and we say, "Hey, we want to do a music authority takeover," they're like, "Sure, when?" You know, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so we're you know for the now immediate. That's what we're really working on rebuilding. What we want to do in the long term is to really find a way to service more kids that are in need. Uh, there's a there's a nonprofit that works with us right now. They're called Music for Chief, and they provide music lessons for at-risk teens. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the teens they work with are in the foster care, and they're a relatively small organization. We would like to find a way to work with more more students like that because we know there's kids out there who need us who can't necessarily afford us. So we want to find a way to service them. That's, That's really amazing. really good and very important. You also raised another interesting point too: the pandemic. The pandemic, I'm sure, like you described, adversely affected your business. It adversely affected a whole range of businesses. But many businesses also learned and figured out how to navigate it, how to deal with it and still keep going anyway. And I'm curious to know what steps did you guys take to kind of keep things going while everybody was in lockdown? We were, um, there were three, three staff members that actually physically were in the office every day during lockdown. We, okay. we never, we never took completely a day off. Um, we, we worked it off where everybody had a day off, but somebody was here all the time. We moved all of our teachers offsite and they did Zoom lessons, mm-hmm. um, which by the way is a terrible thing from our experience. <laughs> it's so hard to teach a child how to play piano through that format mm-hmm. or guitar or anything like that. So as soon as, as soon as we were able to in the state of Georgia come back to in-person lessons, we were on top of that. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, right. And we have, we ended up having a couple of students who moved away during that process. 
they still take Zoom lessons from us, but they're the only ones that we do Zoom. Everything else is in-house now. So all of, of our 605 students, I think 604 of them, like there's, I think there's only one left right now. There might be two left who we're, who are taking off over off somewhere else. But we, you know, we, we learned how to move the, move the lessons online. The store was open by appointment. Uh, which a lot, of, which was really, really common in our industry. So people could call up and say, "Hey, I want to come in and look at a guitar," and we would make that appointment appointed time with them. So we shortened our hours to be on a three-person staff, but we were here the entire time. Uh, it's really very impressive to be able to do that much, especially given what was going on. Um, yeah. And I, I, I could you talk very, about how I was very grateful to be where we are uh, because our our area and our restriction were were not as bad as I have, mm. I have friends who I have friends who have stores all over the country and some of them were like, what do you mean you can actually have a person in your store? Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I appointment we can, but we only have like X number of people in the entire building. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's still impressive though that you were able to navigate it that well. And when you were talking about the Zoom sessions, I totally understood what you said when you said how bad they they would be for two reasons. One is because music is is so much easily, much more easily taught if you can be in the same place showing the student what needs, needs to be done. You know, okay, here's how you finger. Here's how you do this. Here's how you do that. So that. That's the first part. And then the second part is if the teacher is trying to play with the student, the Zoom delay is going to screw that up big time. So, yeah, that would be a big challenge. That would be a real big challenge. Yeah, all of those reasons. And and ultimately, when we started, you know, initially when we started moving everyone back in house, and I, I think we went, our, our pandemic story is actually a pretty entertaining one. We had a concert scheduled for a, it was Friday and it was either March 13th or 14th. I don't remember exactly which one. We had a, we had a major concert that had 60 students involved in it scheduled for I'm going to say it was the 13th of March, that Friday. And the schools closed down because of the pandemic on March the 12th, the day before. Mm. So all week we knew it was coming, but we thought it was going to come the following week. So I was like, okay, we're fine, we're fine, we're fine, we're fine. And then when the schools start letting us know they're shutting down on the 12th, we had this dilemma. Do we go on with the show or do we postpone it? Well, postponing it was going to be nearly impossible so we made the decision to go on with the show. So we actually had our production the day after the schools closed. And so many parents after the fact, when we're sitting here, because then they they never went back to school at that point, of course. Mm-hmm. So they thought they were going to be out for a couple of weeks. And they ended up, that was it. They didn't go back to school until August. You know, so many parents were grateful that we went ahead. You know, the show must go on, you know, as they say, but that we went ahead and with that production because the kids got to do that one last thing before they were at home with their parents and nobody else for so long. They got to show off what they had learned because they had worked for three months for that production. It was, it was a big deal. Like I said, it was 60 mm. kids, but, but we had the dad that was standing there and every time one band left the stage, he wiped down the stage with, 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 um, <laughs> with ice or something. Wipe. Yeah. yeah. So like he wiped everything down in between every single, between every single band and it was just, it was, it was a very interesting production. Um, I, had, I, I took a lot of Tums. I was so nervous. Were, <laughs> I was like, Oh my God. All I could think, all I could think was somebody's going to get really, really sick and it's going to come back to being on me. And mm. thankfully that did not happen. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Again, I think that's where mindset makes a huge difference because yeah. when you have the right mindset, Play, things just play out. They mm-hmm. play out well. Yeah. Things don't play out when, when, when you're, when your mindset's in a lousy place, that's when all the stuff just starts piling <laughs> up on top of itself. And no, we you were able to. It was going to be okay. You did. And that's, that's fabulous. That's really, really wonderful that oh, you yeah. were able to do that. Yeah. So the, the next week after that is when we moved everybody to online lessons. It took mm-hmm. us 10, it took us 10 days. When we, when we went into the pandemic, Back at that point, as of March 13th or 14th, we actually had 650 students, and it took us 10 days to move all of those into into virtual lessons. Only 10 days? That's wild. That's not a long time at all. 
it was it was a mind numbing experience though. Like it was just a yeah. lot of the same activity over and over and over again, creating the lessons the lessons accounts, creating the Zoom accounts, creating because each of our we have 17 studios. Each studio had to have its own account. Right. We could have 17 lessons all happening at the same time. So we had to create 17 different studios, and we just moved teachers off-site one teacher at a time. So that was started March 14th, and I think our first teacher came back on-site um, in the middle of May. So How amazing was, that you did all of that. It was a very quick turnaround. It. it Natalie is my administrator extraordinaire. Uh, she took the lists home and literally sat at home in her dining room table and just moved students into virtual one right after another. Oh. Could not have done it without her. I mean, obviously what you went through was a trial by fire because when you have to do something that quickly, you're, like you said, you, you, you probably have trouble remembering the blur of what happened during that time, but mm -hmm. you did it. And you managed to keep everything going at a time when everything was shutting down. That That is an accomplishment. That's a huge accomplishment. The, the thing that helped me the most, in, in all honesty, is our, our trade organization has an amazing, um, it's the National Association of Music Merchants. That trade organization has an amazing, amazing education program. And they did an education session about four days after things started to close down here. And the thing I remember from that presentation was turn off the news because yes. nothing, nothing the news tells you is going to make you feel good and you <laughs> can't change anything they're saying. So turn it off and stop worrying about it. You need to worry about keeping yourself afloat. And I was like, you know what? That makes perfect sense. And I haven't watched the news since in all honesty, I have not watched any news since I, I read the news in the morning, so at least I know a general idea of what's going on in the world. Um, but I can't change any of that. And mm. that was one of the things that they that they had said in that session, and that was really important, is remembering to focus on, again, the now, and what are we doing right now, and what do we need to do to keep the doors open. That's really great. By the way, I, I've been on my own um, news blackout for, let's see, how long has it been now? Six months, I think just refusing to pay any attention to news at all. I, I occasionally, like, my, my wife asked me about something that was going on, and I said, I have no idea, and I had to do a quick you know, scan of the headlines just to find out what she was talking about. But for the most part, I've been away from it, and not only have I not missed it, it's made my life better. <laughs> my <laughs> life has actually improved because of that. So I imagine that that helped you a lot, too, going through that time, because, yeah, if you had paid attention to that news, that probably would have broken you. Because you're trying to oh, yeah. manage a business in the midst of all that. And you took your mind off it, and it worked. That's great. And, and even today, people come in, and they're like, oh, the numbers are going up, and they're they're peaking, and there's you know X number million people who are sick and, and whatever. And I just look at them, and I say, that doesn't affect me. Are you sick? No? Okay, let's go have a voice lesson. It, it just it doesn't... It, it, it doesn't have to have an impact on what's going on here. And when I worry about it, I'm taking away from what I can get That's such an important message. That really is. Thank you for sharing that message. <laughs> that's that's like the most important message I can think of we could share today. Really, really good. So you've got this thing going. You've got 600-odd students. You've got – how many teachers did you say you have? 28. 28 teachers. <laughs> oh, God. I'm still boggled by the numbers. You've got all this going on. I imagine when you have that kind of numbers, I mean, lots of kids have come through your program. You've been doing it for 20 years. Many have, have graduated, if you will. Many have, I, I suspect you have some professional musicians that have come out of that. I mean, what are some of the, the stories that have come out of that 20 year experience? Um, uh, there was a band. The thing, the one I remember the most, the best one is where my husband and I were driving somewhere. I don't even know where we were going, but we're driving somewhere and I have, I have Cirrus XM in my car um, because the, the mainly because all the, the title of the song pops up and I, that's, I'm booking so many shows that it helps me to know the names of songs. So I have Cirrus XM in my car and we had on this Los Angeles radio station. And we're driving to wherever we're going and suddenly just for no apparent reason that I can see, Andrew, my husband, pulls off the road and into this parking lot and parks in a parking spot, turns up the radio. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he goes, 
that's my student. My student moved to LA and started this band and that's their song. And I, today I couldn't tell you the name of the band. I don't remember. I'd have to go look it up. But it was the first time we ever heard one of our students on the radio. Oh, that's and, so cool. And, you know, since then it's, it's happened a little bit more frequently. Um, we have several, we have several, the, uh, here in Atlanta, the contemporary Christian market is huge. So we've got several mm-hmm. that are playing with, with recognizable Christian artists, mm-hmm. but it's, it's an amazing experience when you're like, I taught him how to do that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> there I would was imagine a, it's surreal, actually. It's, it, it's, um, it's just, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And I interrupted you while you were going to, to tell a story, okay. so I apologize and, about that. No, and and likewise, we have students that have been on major television shows, um, and just all over the place. Because in twenty years, we do see a lot of kids. Yeah, that's fun. That's really good. Um, I know when I was in my twenties, I was in a rock band in my early twenties, and it kind of entertaining the kind of things that you entertain at that age where, you know, wouldn't it be great if uh, we got a hit song or we got popular, or got picked up by an agent or something like that. And, you know, when, when you do that, you, you end up playing your local clubs, you end up playing whatever places you can go to as a band to, you know, get a pickup gig or whatever, pick up some weekend, you know, drink money basically is what it amounted to. So I imagine quite a bit of that goes on, but has anyone been able to turn themselves into like a local act with name recognition where they're, where you know, they're in a band that's actually um, getting regular gigs and everybody knows, Oh yeah, that's a so-and-so band. Yeah. We see them all the time. We do have some of that. We've got a couple of groups that are out there um, that have to have former students in, in there um, and they're doing that. And I'd love to give you names when I'm not, not allowed. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> it's no problem. We, 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 do this, we do this wonderful confidentiality thing with our, with our students. So most of them are we protect their privacy. But, but I'm, and that's wonderful that you do that. Um, yeah. I, I'm just thinking that it's another example of how you can be experiencing that surreal moment of, I, I know who they are. I helped them yeah. my, or my teachers helped them or something along that line. They came through my place. Yes. Yes. And my, and my staff, I mean, we, we know our, our students and there's, there are, there's a couple right now that are graduating from high school this year that are heading off to music that are going to do, unbelievable things like we just know it so they, they have that special gift is what you're saying oh yeah yeah there's there's a there's a particular sparkle it's there's a sparkle that you have and there's a humility you have you could be the best guitar player in the world and if you're not humble you're only going to go so far but mm. having that having that humility is so so important and so there's there's a few that i've got coming up that are just just amazing. And then I've got a couple of, of uh, older students that are adults now that are just starting down that path and watching them start down that path is so exciting, you know, cause they're a little bit older. They're not teenagers. They're, they know what they're doing. They're focused on what they're doing. They, they take criticism well, and they're, you know, they're, they're really focused and that's, that's, that's fun to watch. Typically for somebody who's in the, those shoes, how long have they been studying how long have they been practicing and playing um so my my one student who um he's going to be going to belmont um which is a fabulous music school in nashville um he'll be going there in the fall he started music lessons when he was seven Mm. and uh his the reason for starting he started on guitar and it was because his dad had been killed in Iraq. And the only thing he really remembered was his dad played guitar. Oh, okay. So that was, that was how he got started. And now he's actually going to play bass at, at Belmont. Um, my, my other one who I expect greatness from, um, he's a, he's a drummer and he hasn't decided which school he's accepting yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he started when he was very young also. And he, uh, He's, I've directed him in a band for the last five years. And I would say he probably had been in music lessons for another five years before that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now my adults, uh, some of them are pretty new. Um, they've played at guitar for a while and now they're getting serious about it. So they come in and start the lessons. Um, there's this young lady who's a singer who I just, 
think the world of. She's amazing. Her name is Samantha. It's fabulous. She's been with us for, I think, three years now. Mm-hmm. So we, we do keep our students a long time. Uh, we find that the students who sign up and only take their lessons and don't do performances, they tend to be with us anywhere from 90 days to a year. Um, the mm. students, the students who get involved in performance aspect who are either doing recitals or be doing shows or playing in bands, those students will stay with us anywhere for, um, on average seven years. That makes sense. That makes sense because yeah. the more that you're doing the actual performing, which is one of the reasons I imagine that they were taking the lessons in the first place, the more that they're actually doing that, the more they're feeding the love, they're feeding the joy of what it is that made them want to start the whole thing up. So of right. course it's going to reinforce. Yeah. Right. And, and doing lessons and not doing recitals or concerts is like going to baseball practice, but never actually playing a game. Right. You, know, you want to play the game. That's what you're here for. You're here to perform. That, that's, that's what most students want to do when they sign up. Mm-hmm. Yep. Makes sense. Now there is one difference from when I was taking lessons. Of course I was taking lessons back in the stone age and they had to you know, make the piano out of rocks, but nevertheless, <laughs> um, there were a few differences. One of which is there was no internet and the opportunities that you had as a musician were a lot more limited than they are now. And I'm curious to know what role has the availability of the internet played not only in people making the decision to get involved in music, but actually trying to take their career to the next level. YouTube is a wonderful thing. Um, We all have a YouTube channel. Uh, Mine is not good right now. I haven't touched it in a while, Uh, but (laughs) YouTube YouTube is a wonderful thing. It it puts you, it puts you out there. It allows you to see, see people. Facebook was a savior for us during the pandemic because we were able to do still do recitals one student at a time and we live broadcasted them. So we nice. weren't able with the limitation of the number of people you could have in a room and social distancing, we couldn't, we couldn't have a room full of people watching the student. So we would book our lesson or our recitals with just enough students to fit the parameters of the room. And then we would live broadcast it. And so that live feed, not only could parents see them at home, but family in India could see them, family uh-huh. in Europe could see them, family in New York could see them. No matter where you were, you were able to see it. So that was a huge, huge part of our business during the during the pandemic. And we still do live broadcasts. We don't live broadcast everything anymore because now we can have people back inside. Um, sure. But it was it was important. It was a it was a big piece of piece of the puzzle for us. Uh, the biggest downfall of the internet for us is everybody and their brother can get out there and show you how to play a song. Mm. And a lot yeah. of them are wrong. <laughs> 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 well, I mean, you're 15, like think of your average 15 year old who knows everything and they want to show off what they know. They're probably not playing the song right. And I don't mm. mean that to be be arrogant. Um, but they do, there is a lot of kids will come in and be like, I found this on YouTube or I found this on guitartab.com and we're like, not accurate, but we can work with what you started with. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. the internet's a two edged sword for us. Yeah. Well, that's understandable. And ultimately, since it's about the joy, any way that, uh, you can incorporate the joy by pulling in from various sources is going to help fuel the joy. I think one of the, what you're talking about, because I, I understand what you're talking about, how um, there can be, you know, inaccurate uh, interpretations of an original and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, there could be um, recording mistakes. There could be all kinds of stuff that happen. And it's often nicer to, to know how, well, this is the way it was originally structured when it was originally composed and originally created by the, the person who, the artist who first did it, who first performed it. So, yeah, I totally get that. And at the same time, I also know sometimes it doesn't really matter. What matters is are they having fun doing it? So it's, it's yeah. it, that, that, that's like an ongoing balance you're dealing with, I imagine. It is. It is. It is. Uh, for us, teaching reading is really important. So all of our students learn how to read, no matter mm-hmm. what your instrument. Um, and that makes it easier. So when we're we're learning, like we're learning back in black, oh, that's a G chord. And everybody knows what that means. Mm-hmm. But that's so that's that's an important piece of of what we're what we're doing. Yeah, yeah, you have to have a common language, otherwise it becomes really really hard to uh, <laughs> explain anything. That that was something that was a problem when I got involved in bands, which was the 
um, early 1970s because rock and roll was just kind of really taking off. There were a lot of people starting bands, a lot of people um, experimenting, playing with stuff and so forth. And very often you would get hooked up or you would hook yourself up with people who had not had any kind of formal training. And so you're trying to work out with them, okay, well, what songs can we learn to play together? And without the common language, it was like, okay, we have to kind of invent a way to teach each other what it is that we're trying to do here. And it slowed everything down tremendously. It actually would drive, you know, potential acts apart because they just couldn't communicate. So, yeah, that common language is really important. One of the things I hear from my students when they leave us and go off to, like, college and they're trying to find people to play music with is they're so much more advanced than everybody else because they have the language. And so it's very frustrating for some of them to find people to play with where they're at just because that language isn't there. And they're like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I, I found this bass player to play with, but he doesn't read any music and he doesn't understand chord structure. So now I've got to teach it to him just so we can play in a band together. That, that's, that's a right. very common thing I hear from my students. So I guess that problem hasn't gone away. Sad no. to say. <laughs> no. That's good though. Then they can go on and, you know, help out their fellow band members. <laughs> so you there, teach and they, you know, keep yeah. there is definitely some teaching going on. That's that's true. Well, that also raises the question: How many of your students end up becoming teachers? Hmm. Um, I will tell you on my staff right now. Of my twenty-eight instructors, I have two two that are former students. And two substitute instructors that are former students. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Okay. So I can, so uh, out in the world, I can't tell you how many there are, but I can tell you right. as far as here goes that we do have, have four on, on staff. And, and my sales floor manager is also a former student of ours. That's cool. That's very good. And, um, when, when we're talking about the community aspect, because that was a big portion of what we were talking about earlier on how you guys do everything together. You, you go out and have pizza for 150. I mean, yeah. when you're developing that level of community, what you're really doing is is kind of what social media are trying to mimic now, but you're doing it in the real world context. And I'm curious, in the age of the internet, how does that play, particularly with the younger generation who's used to having everything happen online? Now they're experiencing it offline. Uh, for It's... There is something incredibly special for kids when somebody's mom who you don't even know comes up to you and says, you did a great job. Mm. And what that, the unintended consequences, I guess, of creating this community, because it's really the adults are helping to drive the community, Mm -hmm. is it creates friendships among kids that have not ever necessarily been friends with each other. And it gives them a support group that's larger than they would have expected that you would have necessarily had. Um, they are very good. Our, my students are very good at creating. They, they take it to the digital. So they've got, they've got messaging programs that they message with their friends here at the store with and things like that. But for them, the main thing is them learning those communication skills of other adults speaking to them and saying, you did great or communicating with like, like I have a, we have a gig on on Sunday and we have a a student who's doing something a little bit different. And I was like, I'm not going to tell the sound guy. You have to tell the sound guy. It's like, I have to talk to him. Yes, you do. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you do. So he's, he has his, I've told him exactly verbatim what to say. I said, but you have to do it. So uh, it's, it's teaching them better communication. I don't know if that actually answered your question, but that's... No, it's perfectly legitimate. Um, and, and I like the fact that you were talking about how not only the students were interacting in a way where they were making friends they would not normally make, but that the parents were interacting. Yeah. Because, like you said, they were playing a major role. Well, that means they're interacting with each other, so they're developing relationships that they wouldn't necessarily have without the real-world music authority community scene. Yep. Yep. And we, we created... We actually have a PTO here. They're called the Roadies. Mm-hmm. Um but we created a PTO because the parent interaction was, was such a highly desired activity 
Um, so mm. the roadies are like parents club. So they come and they do things like um, they leave little gifts in our teachers mailboxes to show them that they're appreciated. Oh, um, nice. They manage our special events. They manage things like the company for the store picnic. Um, they do service projects a couple of times a year where we, where we go out in the community and do service to the community. So, so the parents actually enjoy this aspect so much that they created their own board to do it with. Wow. That's like really you created more than just a music class. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But my husband likes to call us the church of rock and roll. I like it. I like it. That's a good description. That's a very good description. But yeah. but more than that, what you've really done is you found a way to do something that is kind of lost today. You know, if you go back to when I was growing up, or even when some slightly younger than me were growing up, it was very common to live in a neighborhood and everybody knew each other in the neighborhood. All the kids played together and so forth. Today, that has shifted so much because of the way you know busing works to schools and daycare and all this other stuff that the the old style neighborhood doesn't really have the same role to play anymore. And yet you have managed inadvertently, perhaps you've managed to recreate the old style neighborhood. You just kind of reoriented it around a different thing around a music store. Yeah. Yes. That's a very good way to describe it. That's pretty cool. I love that. I love that. It's still alive and well in a very new and unique way. Yeah. Well, this has been great before we leave though, before we're done for the day, we need to get some information from you. Um, first of all, I mean, obviously you're based in coming Georgia, so you're oriented around that particular community. Um, but still, there are probably going to be people listening in who want to learn more about you. So tell them how to find you know, a website or any other information about you. And is there anything that you have for somebody who lives outside of the coming area? Sure. Um, we are musicauthorityinc.com is where you can find us online. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Music Authority. And you can find us on YouTube at Music Authority GA. You can see all of the great videos that my students are putting out there. They're just amazing. Um, and we do, like I said, we, we will teach students virtually if you are not in our location. So that is definitely something we can do. My teachers are amazing and fantastic. Um, you just call up and talk to Natalie about that and she can definitely take care of you. Uh, I do have a second administrator. Her name is Anna, but Natalie's the one who generally can manage the the odd requests. <laughs> the odd I always requests. need someone like that. <laughs> yes. I think yeah. everybody needs a Natalie. <laughs> yeah. Always helpful. Yes. She's, she is a dream and I'm so grateful to have her. Mm, yeah. Well, obviously you can't do an operation like this without having good staff like that. I mean, you have to have the support. You can't do it all yourself. And between the staff that you have on location and your, your teaching staff and your parent teacher organization, you have a tremendous amount of support. I imagine that really just makes your, your workload so much easier. It really does. Um, it, it gives me people that I can go to and then I can say, hey, I need I need this done. Um, I'll, like Anna, our, our, my other administrator, Anna, she she manages all of our makeup lessons. So if you're, you're in lessons with us and you miss a lesson, she's the one who makes sure that you get that lesson made up at another time. That is a full-time job that she does. And she's amazing at it. You know, everybody has their piece of the puzzle here, here at Music Authority. And um, we couldn't do any of this without any of them. Wow. It sounds like such an awesome community to be in. It does. Honestly. It, it's, it's People don't get together fun. like that as much at all anymore. Not just because of COVID, but I feel like even prior to. I just think that's so awesome that you did it, especially with music like Walt said. Yeah. You know? Well, thank you. It's, it doesn't feel like coming to work for any of us. Like it, it truly feels like family and, and, you know, it, it, it's just, it, it has, the whole building has good energy. I had, I had a, I had a teacher who, a former teacher come in, uh, for a concert on Saturday night and she was like, it just has good energy here. That's nice. When you're encouraging what... parents and the kids, that's just mm. so amazing. People do need it. It's awesome. They do. And that shows the fact that she made that comment demonstrates that pretty much summarizes the whole thing. If you've got good energy, then people are feeling it. They may not even know what energy is, but they feel it. They can't help but feel it and they experience it. Melissa Loggins, thank you very much for coming on the show, sharing your your story. It was a marvelous story. And, uh, yeah, you just uh, livened up the day. So thank you very much. You did. Thank you. (laughs) Glad to have you. We need people like you in the world. Yeah, absolutely.
Um, we've got David Strickland coming tomorrow, stream with David. So if you have any Ooh. questions for uh, the stream, be sure to send those in. And uh, a couple other people coming up this week that don't come to mind, but I'll, I'll give you more details about them tomorrow. But in the meantime, thank you, podcast listeners everywhere. And we will see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody.